Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. And I said, to work in the Premier League, you need to be pro-licensed qualified. So I put a line, put, I drew the line that went upwards and put pro-licensed at the top. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A-licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B-licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A-licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yasin. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest today. Um, joined by former UEFA A licensed and national coach developer lead at the FA, Jeff Pike. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm very well, Yasser. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Look, Jeff, I'm not going to waste any time. I want to get right into the heart of it. Talk to us. Let us know how your coaching journey started. Um, well, that, that was um, quite uh, uh, fortuitous in the sense of when it, when it first started. I was, uh, I'd left West Ham after being there for many years, as I'm sure you're aware, and uh, had a couple of years up at Notts County and then uh, returned back into the uh, the smoke, as they call it, uh, with Lake Norian. And I had two years there as a player. And towards the end of the second season that I was there, I picked up an injury that was, well, basically stopped me from playing. Um, and I had, I had three choices. It was try and play through the pain, which wasn't an option. Have a, uh, an operation, which was potentially going to restrict my movement or retire. Uh, and Frank Clark, who um, uh, was, uh, is, I would call, hope, hopefully call a friend now, uh, who was a manager at the football club at the time, offered me the opportunity to be the youth team coach. Uh, and uh, so the decision was basically made for me. So I retired from playing at 35 years of age and went, went straight into the youth coach's job at Leighton Orient um, without a qualification. Um, which was uh, quite a challenge because I then got qualified, um, which was a completely different environment to what it is now. Uh, when I did my qualifications, uh, while, whilst in, in situ at, uh, at Lake Norian, um, Frank then left and went to uh, Nottingham Forest, which is 
where he played uh, and won a European Cup winner's medal with. Um, and uh, uh, Peter Eustace took over at uh, Leighton Orient. And on, after the second season, he sacked me because he, th- he didn't believe that I produced any players. And um, I questioned why. Because, you know, how can you produce a player in a in a 18-month, two-year period without having any influence on them previous to that through their academy process? Um, and he, unfortunately, didn't have an answer for it. But that was my first coaching experience. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, it, it was something that uh, I suppose it was a bit like anybody's first um, experience of coaching once they've either finished playing or the first time they've gone into coaching uh, after being coached and you tapped into coaching yeah. qualification, uh, coaching sessions and practices that you actually enjoyed yourself without having any no uh, uh, understanding or realisation of why you was doing it. Um, yeah. You know, so it was, uh, it was a real learning, uh, learning curve for me and it was a a uh, very steep learning curve, but uh, a very enjoyable one. Brilliant. You know, just touching on a couple of things there, you know, uh, you know, about the in, the institute side of things, you know, obviously there's something that's very prevalent now in, in the current coach education path. What was that? What did that look like back then then? Uh, well, basically it was um, uh, offered, offered the job, uh, took the job and then was told, well, now you need to get qualified. So in them days, it was uh, there was uh, the FA prelim badge, um, yep. which was um, a week's uh, coaching. And then at the end of the week, you was told whether you achieved the qualification or not, um, which I, I fortunately I did. Um, and then went up and did a, a straight onto an A license. There wasn't a UA for B license at that particular time. Uh, when I did uh, an A license, went, spent two weeks at Lillishaw, uh, then came home and then got a letter through the post two weeks later to say that I'd passed the qualification. Um, you know, so the the, uh, the format and the, the way the courses are run now are much more conducive to uh, learning than what they were then. It was very much an exam based process. Uh, what what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, a lot of coaches that I've spoken to recently, uh, you know, would say that uh, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of opportunities for coaches to maybe be, be a bit more explorative in the way they want to work. However, there's a, a bigger challenge to maybe really make an assessment on whether someone meets the competencies because you know, really, it's now down to the judgment and the I guess yeah, the judgment and the assessment of each individual tutor or County coach developer, whatever that sure. may be. They're, 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 it was something that we were uh, have uh, constantly been addressing. Once the 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 assessment process uh, changed from exam based to competency based, and how we can how we uh, how at the FA uh, there can be some consistency across the board about where people are setting the. the um, uh, I suppose the you know the the the, the guideline or where where this you know uh, w- w- what do people need to be able to do to be able to cross the line and get the qualification and how mm. how consistent can that be working with an individual who's working in the northeast for example who might be um, a national coach developer or county coach developer to someone working in the south um, it, it's it, it 
I don't think you ever get to the answer of that, uh, Yasser, if I'm honest. I think what people do is they continue to work and develop the coaches that are or the tutors that are in those positions to then be able to make those and trust them to go out and make those judgments and decisions. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of the things that, that um, uh, uh, was, I suppose, a, the, the biggest challenge really you know, uh, working from that exam-based process to a competen competency-based process. Uh, it's really, it, it's one of the hardest things that, that we've had to um, consider as we've gone through the process. What would, your, what, would you, what would you say to those that maybe would challenge the pathway in that there's a, you know, I've had, again, I've had a loads of discussion mm -hmm. with various coaches and they would say that there's a lot more, because there is a lot more emphasis on, on the coach, but having essentially a bit more creative freedom, that there's less emphasis on the technical aspect of things. Um, you know, traditionally, you know, I, I, when it was, I guess, as you put it, the exam-based mm -hmm. uh, process, there was a lot more technical input, I think, from the from the delivery, on the delivery of the tutors anyway. Um, and a lot of people would, especially the learners coming onto the courses, would have said that, right, one of the biggest things they want to get from the course is that technical sure. aspect. Um, now, because of the way things have been restructured and, you know, it's not to say that it's a bad thing, but I think it's, it's probably fair to say that there's probably less emphasis on the technical side of what would you, you know, how, what would you advise those coaches? Well, I, I don't think there's necessarily them. less emphasis on the technical or the detail of what people are trying to, trying to mm. coach. Um, it's the way that I that think detail more in terms is coached. Of... Right. Yeah. Okay, so, sure. you know, what, one of the things that, um, you know, that we uh, really looked at was how we can marry the two together. The, the difficulty you have, Yasser, is that uh, everybody that comes on the course is working in a different environment. And, you know, you, you have to cater for that different environment. So when you've got, when you've got for example, 12 to 15 players uh, and you're working with those players on, constantly on a daily basis, there's, there's 12 to 15 people, uh, players that, will learn it uh, sometimes in a completely different way. Uh, so how do you cater for that within your coaching and your the way you coach those players on that particular day or days or weeks or months, et cetera, et cetera? Same thing applies from a tutor experience. So we've got 40 people in a room uh, and we've got 40 people that learn learn differently. So how do you cater for those particular individuals? So what we did was we made a, a conscious effort of putting them back into their own environment where they felt a little bit more comfortable working with the players that they were working with and assess them based around their coaching competency whilst they're in their own environment rather than working with a group of players that potentially they've never worked with before. You know, so, right. that, so they, have a, they will hopefully have an insight into the player development and the player learning within their own environment as a consequence of that, being being able to coach in a, a in an appropriate way to develop those players and help them get better. I totally, totally, I totally see where you're coming from there, and I think it's important that obviously coaches do take that on board as well and understand that. It, it's it, it's 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 a really difficult um, concept to to yeah. actually put into in, into practice, and it's also a really difficult uh, concept for the learners to understand how it's going to work for them. Uh, the, the, the challenge for the FA is to get uh, all, the, all the tutors 
in a position where you feel comfortable and, and trust those tutors to be able to go out and, uh, for want of a better way of describing it, assess those individuals in their own environment. Uh, and, you know, if you, we, we all know about the, the mentoring process. Yes, sir. You know, we, we, you know, so if, if, if I'm working with you as a mentor, then we need to be able to trust each other to, for me to be able to speak to you in a way and have difficult conversations, for example. Um, but if that's not, if that's not happening, if you haven't built that relationship with that particular individual, and I then start to criticise that particular individual or talk to them in a in a in a way that's not appropriate or have a difficult conversation with them, then that person is probably not going to accept what I say because we've never not built a relationship in the first place. Just on that, you know, would you mind just expanding on that? You know, you're experienced now, a massive amount of experience working in the coach education field, and obviously doing some consultancy work now, supporting coaching and development. Just. Could you talk about some of the things that maybe you've done as a tutor in particular? Because there might be tutors listening to this as well as coaches. Um, in terms of go on. the fundamentals to you developing that relationship with your mentee or even vice versa, if you're in the coach's shoes as the mentee and you're now looking, you're looking to develop a relationship with the mentor, would you, you know, do you have any key things that you would look out for in that relationship? Uh, absolutely. Uh, honesty, humility, um, being in a position where you're prepared to accept the yourself as a as a tutor that you've made a mistake uh and you know being able to answer the questions that's going to be asked asked of you and if you can't answer that question uh, actually saying that you'll find out and then come back with the answer uh yeah. you know so the, the the honesty bit is um i suppose the, the best way to describe it is uh, and, and i hope you don't mind but i've got a, a little story here um I was at, uh, at St. George's Park and I got an email from a, a, a young Asian lad who was uh, early 20s and he asked to come and see me and because uh, he wanted to understand his coaching pathway. Uh, so he cycled 13 miles to, to come and see me and obviously was, uh, had to cycle back home again afterwards. And he wanted to know what the best, part, best pathway was for him uh, to to be able to get where he wanted to get to. So my first question to him was, well, where do you want to get to? And he said, I want to be a Premier League manager. So I went, okay, so where are you at now? And he said, well, I, I do this uh, coaching. And he said, I'm level one qualified. And uh, I've been out to a lot of countries in Europe at my own expense, a lot of countries in South America at my own expense so that's to study the game while uh, while I'm out there. So I went, well, fair play to you, because you've really put yourself on the, you know, on a, a, a merry-go-round of, uh, of people that, you know, are, are striving for the same thing. So I took him into one of the classrooms down at uh, St. George's Park, and I got a piece of flip chart paper, and I said, OK, so this is where you are. And I drew a diagram of where he is on these level one coaching qualification. And I said, to work in the Premier League, you need to be pro-license qualified. So I put a line, for, I drew the line that went, upwards and put pro license at the top and then went through the process of each of the qualifications to get him to be fully qualified to be able to manage at the top level uh, and then I, he, I, he said to me how long do you think that would take me and I said well probably if you want to do it properly in excess of 15 to 20 to 25 years and he was gobsmacked 
And right. the reason why is because, and the reason why I spoke to him in that way was because I wanted him to have a realization of the experience that you have to gather to be top of the game, to be able to have an opportunity to be able to get into those roles. Yeah. You know, so if, if you've had no experience, don't expect to get in the role. If you've had 25 years experience, you may have a chance and you only may have a right. chance because there's, there's a multitude of other people out there that are vying for the same position. Definitely. You know, so what you've got to try and do is put yourself in the best position that you possibly can. And a lot of that is based around experience. You know, so Definitely. people look at what you've done through experience wise in the game rather than the qualification you have. The qualification adds value. It doesn't make you or doesn't get you the job. What gets you the job is the experience that you've got. Definitely. I mean, I would, I would agree with that. So, so from a tutor perspective, how do you help those coaches and how do you help develop those coaches? You be honest with them to start with because if you're not honest with them and you're telling them, telling them a pack of lies about whether they're good, bad or indifferent, then actually you're not doing them any favours whatsoever uh, and have humility. What about those those learners, I guess, that you or those mentees or however you wish to view them, that maybe don't want to accept that honesty? Uh, well, uh, it, it, the bottom line is, yeah, so is they probably won't won't get the experience that they need and probably won't uh, go on in the game. Uh, I'm working mm. with uh, the lads at Lake Norrin, as we spoke previously. Ross Embleton is the first team manager. And uh, he's, um, I'm working with him quite closely on mentoring him through qualifications, but also from experience, talking to him about how he's dealing with different things at the football club, because he's a very, very young manager and it's his first managerial role. And the statistics say, if you're not successful in your first job, you don't get another job. If you are successful in your first job, you get seven other opportunities. Interesting. You know, coming back to your story, I just wanted to delve, delve a bit deeper onto mm -hmm. that. So you mentioned there that he was a he was a young Asian yes. lad, and you know, I, I, I guess I wasn't really looking to come onto this topic in particular. But do you think that he's he's going to be facing different challenges? You know, and it'll be interesting to know. Absolutely, that about that. absolutely, yes. Sir. And there's no getting away from that. And you know, it's it's it, 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 whilst it's whilst it's one hundred percent wrong, you know, that's the reality of the, of the game as we are at this present time. But if he's fully qualified and has those that experience, then there's no reason why he shouldn't get at least an interview for a job. Um, what tends to happen and what has happened in the, in the past is people are expecting to get these opportunities and they don't happen because they're not experienced and they're not qualified. Mm. It's a bit of a chicken and egg at the situation. It is, it's absolutely. And I, I go back to uh, maybe... Five, five, five to six years ago, and Brendan Batson, who's a very good friend of mine, who I'm sure you know of. Um, yeah, I've Brendan was working at the too. FA at the time, and he came to me and he said to me, and I, I, this is the gospel truth. He said to me, "I'd like you to run a, a UA for A license course for the Black and Ethnic Minority Group." And I said, "Brendan, I'm happy to run a course." I said, "But I'm not going to run it solely for the Black and Ethnic Minority because I don't think that's right." So what we did, we had 35 candidates on the course and we gave them 50% yeah. of the places on the course for the Black and Ethnic Minority Group. I actually think I was on that course. Yes, I think he was. 
Um, and then we had seven females on the course. One of those was black at the, as well. And we also had uh, the, the, the rest of the course was for um, uh, white Caucasian or Caucasian coaches. And the following year, we, I flipped it on its head and did it the other way around. So we had 15, 16 female coaches. We had seven or eight, nine uh, black and ethnic minority coaches and the rest white coaches. So what I, what I was really, really conscious of was whilst it was one of those situations where we wanted to uh, promote the, the black and ethnic minority mm. coaching uh, fraternity, we couldn't put that aside and say it's solely for that because I didn't want yeah, to be put in a position, yes, sir, of being, being um, told that I was positively discriminating because, you, yeah. could, it, you know, it, it works both ways, doesn't it? hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because certainly a lot of uh, coaches who have maybe overheard discussions with and maybe had uh, brief discussions with certainly feel that, that, you know, when the Brendan Batson came in and he did the whole, the, you know, he, he pushed for the whole BAME initiative and whatnot, that actually there was a lot of, there was a lot of grievance, uh, you know, from the coaches sure. of the, you know, the white Caucasian uh, community that felt this was positive discrimination. And I thought, and I think you're spot on to kind of maybe, uh, I guess not make it solely a, a BAME course in that respect sure. because obviously then it, that's just going to create further segregation if anything. But uh, um, I, I got uh, just added on to that. I got asked to do yeah. uh, a presentation at the London Coaches Association run by Colin King, and I'm sure you know yeah. Colin, and I've known Colin yeah, yeah. for a long, long while, and I'll class him as a friend. And Chris Powell was in the in the audience. And um, at the, I got questioned about this situation regarding black and ethnic minority coaches. And yeah. um, uh, I answered the question based, you know, truthfully in, in the, at the time. And Chris stood up and he said, can I say something? I said, of course you can, because I've known Chris a long while. And he said, his, his words were, um, I've worked uh, bloody hard to get where I am. And he said, that's no different to anybody else in the game of football. And I thought coming from Chris was a real eye-opener for some of those people in that room who were very much around the, you know, well, we're being discriminated against, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, can I, do you mind just taking me back a little bit? What, what was that question that you was asked, if you don't mind? The question, what, from... Uh, some, I, 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 uh, before before I, Chris uh, Powell um, obviously stepped up. And, I can't remember off the top of my head. It was a, it was a long while ago. It was uh, I think yeah. it was something around uh, words to the effect of why, why is there... It, it, it's, 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 it's the age-old question, Yasser. Why are there not many... Why, why is there not many managers in the Football League that are black? Yeah. You know, so it may well yeah. have been something like that. It may have been something around um, black coaches... You know, et cetera, et cetera. The one thing I will add to that, though, before we move on, is that um, uh, the uh, the playing uh, percentage of black players now playing in the game of football was as far vastly advanced. It's a lot more now than what it used to be. So, in reality, over the next period of time, there will be more black coaches that will be available and will be working in the game based around the percentage of black players. Yeah, I firmly believe that that will that will happen because you know, unless of course they turn around and say, "Well, I've earned enough money now, and I don't need a coach because I don't need another job," uh, which that that could occur to any player, whatever whatever race or ethnicity you are. Sure, 
you know, just, just you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this topic, but just interested to get your thoughts on one other thing actually. So, you know, there's obviously different initiatives out there. For instance, the you know the FA's got their initiatives, the ESL got their initiatives, and the Premier League got their initiatives. What are your thoughts on those, and whether they're actually, I guess, uh, productive in, in terms of developing the numbers and actually, you know, actually maybe I don't know if your experience or your observations have told have sort of. Uh, uh, I, I think any initiative um, has to be a plus. Um, it's it's what what the outcome is at the end of it. Um, uh, probably uh, uh, it's probably a, a time to to speak about or, or tell you another story. And it was the story goes: I was sitting in a meeting with uh, the EFL uh, top bods at the EFL, and um, the question was asked within that meeting was. Um, uh, about B licensed coaches working in academies, irrelevant of race or ethnicity, um, and um, I, I questioned the EFL guys around um, because what was happening was we got challenged at the FA to get coaches that were being employed in academies without the qualification and being asked to then qualify them. So my question to them right. was. Why aren't you uh, employing uh, any of the B licensed coaches that are out that are already qualified and experienced coaches that are out there already? And the answer that came back was, well, the clubs are in, uh, are um, uh, interviewing those particular coaches, uh, but they don't think they're good enough. So I right. said, well, so you're asking me to qualify someone at B license level as soon as possible, who has no experience, but you think is better than an experienced coach. Is it not something that, is it not the fact that they're not prepared to pay the money for an experienced coach? So they pay the money for an inexperienced coach and then ask us to get them qualified. And they couldn't answer the question, yeah. yes, sir. Well, I think, I think it's quite an interesting one because, you know, certainly from my experience, you know, and then obviously uh, speaking to other coaches, knowing other coaches, it's definitely been a thing where. You know, I, I know I know a coach, a, a good friend of mine, who's actually got an A license right now, but because he did, he hasn't got the youth award, they won't give mm-hmm. him a job. Um, and on the flip side, you've got someone who's just got just finished their B license, but obviously because of the way the course has been restructured, he's got himself a job. And it's you know, you, you could argue that looking at the two coaches, whether one's better than sure. the other, but if the guy with the A license, he can't even get a youth award anymore. And you know, he's been trying to get he's trying to get that sorted for the last eighteen months with no. I guess. Yeah, I mean, successful. you know, so when, when you look at that, the, the to, to get on an A licence now, you need to be working at a professional football club. Uh, exactly that. that. That's, a, that's a real issue because, you know, there's a number of coaches outside of that environment. I, when I was at the FA up until recently, I was working with um, uh, Butch Fazell, Abdul Fazell, who I'm sure you know, yep. who's taken over yep. that role of um, Brendan Batson's From role. Wayne Allison. Um, we're working with the black and ethnic minority and we, we worked really closely together to make sure that there was um, a number of people that, uh, um, from the black and ethnic had an opportunity to get on the on the uh, uh, on the qualifications yeah, nice. um, yeah. which is a, a mate which was a major initiative if I'm honest because they, previous to that they wouldn't have got on the qualification because they wasn't employed by a football club yeah. So you know there 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 are some some really uh, positive things to come out of this. I think what we've got to be careful of is is trying to think that it's going to happen tomorrow, 
you know it's going it, yeah. it's a it's it's a period of time that that people need to judge what's happening by and i think we've got to be a little bit sure. careful about making that judgment too soon definitely i just want to take you back to your coaching journey now you know uh, you started off as the youth team coach down at Lake yeah. orient you managed to get through your in you know your qualification you know you said that he put you on the initial prelim and then did you did your a license yeah. after that where did it go from there um Basically, what happened was uh, I lost my job at Lake Norian, um, and I was on the uh, on the dole for about eighteen months. Uh, I was out of work, um, not sure what was going to happen. I went to uh, America and did some coaching for a guy called Gary Russell. So I was out there for about three weeks, I think it was, um, and I got involved with a, a, a friend of mine who was going and. At the same time, and he said to me that there was a, a a job going at East Berkshire College, which is over in Slough, um, and the job was a, a a support person for the um, sport um, tutors. So what I would do was go in in the morning, and there'd be um, uh, badminton going on. So I would put all the badminton nets up. Uh, and then when they'd finished, I'd take all the badminton nets down. While I was there, uh, this friend of mine who worked at the same college, we set up an academy um, which was linked to Slough Town. And um, okay. what we did was we, we took players that had been released at professional clubs nearby and put them through an educational program, but also put them through, through a football program. And they played for Slough Town. In the, in the youth team at Slough Town. So they got released at 16. And as a consequence of that, uh, there was a guy called Lloyd Owusu, who you may know of. Uh, Lloyd came through that program and we ended up playing professionally again. So we set that up and um, we uh, uh, was quite successful doing that. And while I was there, I retrained uh, as a, uh, I took a teaching qualification. So uh, I used my time whilst um, whilst we wasn't doing the the football stuff to to study and and uh, put myself in a better position and was was going to be offered a full time lecturer's post at the college, which I probably would have accepted, okay. but I got a phone call from the PFA, totally out of the blue, uh, from a guy called Paul Power who played for Man City who was working at the PFA at the time and I knew very well, and he rang me up and he said, uh, uh, "Would you be interested in?" being one of the uh, um, PFA um, coaches in the new coaching department. So I said, yes. Would you come up for an interview? Yes. Uh, drove up to Manchester. Um, stayed overnight the night before. Went into the office for the interview the next day. Um, Brian Talbot walked into the office. And uh, so I knew that I wasn't going to get the job because Brian Talbot was the same area as me. And Brian was the or had been the president of the PFA while he was playing. So he had an affinity with the, with the PFA anyway. Uh, he got the job, and then about a month later, six weeks later, he went off to Rushton and Diamonds as manager. And I got a phone call then from, from the PFA again. Would you be interested in taking up the post because of what's happened with Brian? We thought your interview was really good, et cetera, et cetera. So cut a long story short, yes, I took the job. I was there for nine years. Um, and whilst I was doing that, um, uh, there was a group of friends 
um, that had nothing to do with football whatsoever, just our, our group of friends, my wife and I. And um, we started to do some charity functions to raise money for a local hospice. And um, right. so uh, on this particular occasion, uh, I went to see John Lyle, who was my ex-manager at West Ham. He was up at Ipswich at the time. And yeah. um, John, uh, I went up and saw him. And we sat down and we, we had an, uh, a good hour, hour and a half, while we were sitting there having a chat and a cup of tea. And I invited him and his wife, Yvonne, to come to the charity do, which he gladly accept, accepted. Uh, and while I was there, he said to me, do you know something? So I said, what's that? He said, it's people like you that should work for the FA. So I thought about that. And then five interviews later, I eventually got the job at the FA. And what was that first yeah. job at the so FA? So he was inspirational uh, right through my playing career, right the way through uh, even post my playing career, through my coaching career, through my coach development career, through my coach education career. Um, because John was the first person I got, uh, um, I conversed with at West Ham as a 10 year old when I went there in 1966. Wow. So you've now obviously, you know, with the with his support and, you know, the, the encouragement, gone on to work for the FA. What was that first role with the FA, Jeff? My first role at the FA was a regional coach development manager that was working with the county FAs and grassroots coaches, etc, uh, etc. Et um, I worked with London FA. That, would that be similar to what a county coach development yeah. is doing now? Yeah, basically what the uh, the national, well, more bit more what the national coach developers do. Um, okay. uh, no, sorry. Yeah, the county coach developers. No, you're right. Sorry. Um, yeah, so they go into the, the counties and support the, the, the work that the county FAs are doing. Um, and I worked with uh, London, Middlesex. Um, uh, there was a number of others uh, that I worked with. Um, while I was at the PFA, I worked with 13 different clubs, working around, working with some of their um, uh, players uh, and ex-players to help them get qualified, but also help the the scholars get qualified at level two and then moved on, as I say, to the FA and then did some work with, with the county FAs, you know, helping develop grassroots countries. Mm. So then, you know, we're now, I guess, mid 40s now. I don't <laughs> want to give you age away, but you've been very kind there, yes, sir, I must admit. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so I, I finished playing at 35. Uh, did the youth coach's job at West at uh, Orient for two years and then went on uh, to the, the college. I was out of work for 18 months, two years at the college uh, and then nine years at the PFA and 12 years, what was tw 12 and a half years at the FA in the end. So uh, um, I'll let you do the maths. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'll, I'll keep that on the hash, <laughs> um, So, right, you know, you obviously started off as regional coach development manager. Uh, eventually ended up as a lead national uh, national coach uh -huh. developer, I guess. Um, and obviously, eventually also leading on the yes. A licence. How, how did that journey How did that journey develop from your first steps into the FA back to, you know, to that point there? To, well, uh, it was, uh, I started off as, as a regional coach development manager. A friend of mine called Steve Rutter, who was working at the FA, contacted me yeah. and said um, that his job as a regional coach development manager was available and we'd like you to apply for it because he was going on to a different role within the FA. Um, 
Okay. So uh, whilst I was at the FA, and not long after I'd done the uh, I'd done the regional coach development, um, the RCDM role uh, for probably I think maybe two years. Um, one of the first things that I did when I went into um, uh, into the FA was I got told by Steve, "Oh, you're going out to Lesotho." I went, "Where the bloody hell's that?" Uh, and <laughs> he, he said, "Well, it's in the middle of South Africa." I went, "Oh, lovely." He said, I said, what am I doing? He said, you're running a course out there for them. So I ended up going out three times to Lesotho and got a real affinity with a group of people out there. And it was a, it's a lovely environment. And, you know, it was, uh, I actually met um, uh, the, the then England manager. Fabio Capello brought out uh, Ray Clements and they did some stuff around there because Lesotho was one of the countries that was rife with AIDS. And they were, right, okay. you know, sort of, uh, promote uh, healthy uh, living, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we was running. I was running sure. a course out there with uh, with another coach, and been out there for um, you know. So in the end, we did. We I did three three trips out there. You know, two weeks at a time, and had a fabulous time. They were marvelous people. And that was which qualification you were delivering? Um, well, it was uh, it, it was the start of what we call the international licenses. Um, is, so is that, is as a, still running. Sorry. Is that still running? Um, well, funnily enough, I'm due to go out uh, to Dubai for the FA in October to deliver an international license out there for them. Right. Okay. Um, so it, that was the start of what the international licenses were. were. And sure. um, I, uh, I, along with um, a couple of other people, developed three courses, which was foundation, intermediate, and advanced. Um, right. And at, the, at that particular time, the guys in Lesotho wanted the advanced course, but in reality, they weren't ready for that. So we delivered the foundation course for them. Well, what would that be the equivalent to then? Um, it would be equivalent to what was the um, the FA Youth Award Level 1 and the, the Level 1 coaching qualification. Right, OK. Uh, so we, we married it up with... So the intermediate course was Level 2 and... Um, the uh, the intermediate um, FA Youth Award and so on and so forth. Sure. And if someone was to maybe gain that international coach license, would they be able to just come over here and uh, be accredited with a prior learning or, and uh, transfer over? No. To... So what what we, because because the, the, the UEFA um, yeah. uh, um, rules and regulations, we wasn't able to do that. But what we right. started to do towards the end of when we did these things, which we, it sort of. When the new regime came in at the at the FA, uh, they put a, a stop to that stuff and wanted us to concentrate on what was going on uh, in England. Um, sure. It was very much around, well, there's an additional bit of learning that you need to do based around yeah. our observations of the better candidates. And if you did that bit, then that would um, um, give you access to a UEFA B qualification. Okay. Um, uh, how many of those we 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 went we we actually got on UEFA B? I can't answer that question. So it was um, it was an initiative that we put together because we felt there was there was uh, uh, an opportunity missed if we didn't do that. Definitely. And just on that, you know, you talk there about the qualification almost being, uh, I guess, phased out a little bit. There's been quite a few of these qualifications phased out, phased in and out over the years. Uh, one that uh, you know. Of, probably like to get a bit more information on was the level five in professional football for professional football coaches award. The, oh yeah. So basically that, that got, um, 
that that came in that was brought in by Dick Bate, um, okay. and it was for coaches that wouldn't necessarily get on the UEFA Pro license because of the uh, the the where they were working, i.e., where they were coaching. So there's right. a guy called Andy Edwards who now works at the FA with the national teams. He yeah. did the professional coaches qualification because he was working as a youth team coach at Lake Norrient, funnily enough, at the time. Right. Um, so he didn't qualify to get on a UEFA Pro license. The UEFA Pro license was for current um, and potential Premier League or First Division managers. Yeah. So he wasn't gonna, he wasn't in that position, so he couldn't get on the qualification. So they put a professional coach's qualification together. And then um, as a consequence of that, there was uh, once that 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 um, uh, finished, which it, it finished when when uh, Dick left, I think. I think I did one um, with uh, Dan Ashworth and a, uh, and someone else at, at the FA, and um, they then had put a conversion course on for those people that did the professional coaches qualification to convert to UEFA Pro license. Right. And what would in terms of the content? What would have been the major differences there? Um, it was. It was. There wasn't a, a huge, a huge amount of difference. It was very much around the development of the coaching, uh, their coaching methodology, and how they could get better at coaching. Sure. Okay. Right. You know, so let's come back to your role then. You know, you you, you now uh -huh. got in. You, you know, you've done a bit of coach education. You went up to South Africa. Come back now. You've now started to get involved in the A license stuff. What did that what did that look like on a day to day for you? Well, well, basically, what happened was uh, Steve Rutter, who uh, um, had been asked to put together a a new department at the FA that was going to deal with those types of things, so the higher end qualifications, and um, he asked four people from uh, the regional coach development managers' roles to come on board with him. Uh, and including myself, there was Jamie Robinson, who's now um, one of the, the uh, head honchos at the FA, um, a guy called Alan Gillette and Dennis Mortimer. Um, yeah. So there was the four of us that got involved in that process. And we then worked as a team to start to develop the uh, what my, one of my first roles when I did when I went into that was to redesign and redevelop the UEFA B licence. Uh, and lead on the UEFA B license. So I did that uh, while Steve led on the A license. And then when Steve left and went to Luton, I think he did, I then took over as the UEFA A license lead. Um, right. And then the department was uh, um, restructured. And as a consequence of that, I then got a, a line management role of eight people, which included uh, Jamie, which included Alan Gillette, which included uh, Dennis Mortimer, um, so I took the um, uh, the um, man lead management role on that, and then uh, took over the lead on the on the UEFA license development and design and delivery. So just you know, just your time in, in, in I guess as the A license lead, what were some of the biggest changes that you saw over over that period of time? Well, the the, the main change we, we we've already sort of touched upon was yeah. the, you know going from an exam based process to a competency based process. Um, it was a real challenge because, you know, to try and come up with the the right level of competency that people could understand, um, and as as a coach and as a tutor was a real challenge. And we had, we you know I, I spoke with a lot of people 
uh, from an educational environment to, to try and help out with that respect. Um, and, and they did, to be fair. But in reality, what we needed to do was try and put it back into football speak so people can understand it from a football perspective and not, a, not an educational perspective or, or a, an, an academic perspective. Sure. Just, just on that, you know, you took, you know, you've you've had a lot of experience working both in coaching and coach education. Obviously, you've been an ex-pro as well. What would you say your biggest bugbears are when it comes to coaching? Then, because mm-hmm. I'm um, sure you, I'm sure you probably have developed a few. There, or... there is, and, and and it's not any fault of any individual in any way, shape, or form. It's in, sure. it's a fault of the the um, the process or the structure. Um, we we uh, and probably the, it, it's easy to describe better in a in a story based um, approach. Go for uh, it. I had a guy called um, uh, a guy from Newcastle come down who was uh, the first team manager. or I had been the first team manager, and uh, to talk about his coaching journey because he had a, had a, f- a phenomenal coaching journey from being a volunteer coach at 16, 17 years of age when he was a year a, a week away from playing. Uh, in Newcastle's first team, he got a, an injury uh, and couldn't um, couldn't play. And then the injury stopped him from playing. And he then became a volunteer coach. Ended up as Newcastle manager. And while he's in the room talking about his coaching quality, coaching journey, he asked the question of the group about how long they'd been coaching. And a couple of guys put their hands up. And one guy said, I've been coaching for about 10 or 12 years. And he said, oh, good. You know, you, you've got some experience. Another guy put his hand up. And he said, I've been coaching for two years. And 50% of that time, I've been part-time. But he was now the, the um, uh, he was now a phase lead coach in a, in a professional football club. So going back to what we spoke about before, about finance, he'd taken the job because he was prepared to take the money for yeah. that particular role with no experience whatsoever. And as a consequence of that, we then got asked if he could get on a qualification as soon as possible. And held, got held uh, got held to ransom by the football club to get him on the course because he'd been already in the role. That is probably my biggest bugbear, not having uh, having uh, the situation where coaches who are uh, very green and very young and with no experience whatsoever getting on a qualification that they shouldn't be on to start with, and he knew he shouldn't be there. Uh, so uh, you're then challenged as the coach educator to educate someone who's a long way behind potentially some of the other people that are in the room mm. and then get challenged to get him qualified and pass him sooner rather than later because of his role. Uh, and you got the, the FA got held to ransom a little bit regarding that. And that was my, my, my biggest thing that I had at the FA when I spoke to people of... Uh, 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 higher rank, for want of a better way of describing it, at the FA, was one of the biggest things that I I, I tried to dig my heels in and say yeah. that this shouldn't be happening. It's not fair on the candidate coach coming in to be put in that position. Definitely, and I think just you know just to talk to that a little bit, I think there's certainly a lot of situations where I've come across myself where coaches have gone into clubs and. Club, you know, club almost seemingly just giving them a, a, an opportunity to get onto a course, and because obviously they've got a bit, I guess, a lot more access in the elite game with you know the, the youth coach developers as opposed to a county coach developers, probably got much bigger, uh, I guess, beta coverage in terms of clubs they're trying to cater for. 
they almost can even have tailor-made courses for their clubs? Well, that was another thing that I, I battled and fought against. And the, the reason why, Yasser, is because it was around, you know, who's going to deliver these courses? And is the standard of the course going to be up to the standard of the course that we're delivering at, at, uh, at St George's yes, Park? Yeah. And is it going to be the same content? And it's very, very difficult when you're asking people. And I mean, you've been on courses uh, that that, uh, that I've been involved in, and you know, uh, we we get a lot of uh, group work activity, you know, because it's about learning from each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And mm-hmm. if you haven't got a group, then you lose out on some of the learning opportunity. So if you've got three or four people in a room, and it's a bespoke course for for some uh, whoever it may be then you lose out or, or they will lose out of some learning opportunities because there's not enough group activity. Um, you know, so, you know, it, I, I, I fought and battled and fought against some of these things that were going to potentially happen. And as a UEFA lead, I, I, I was hoping that I was going to get uh, heard in some, in a lot of, a lot of occasions I did, but in some occasions I didn't. Yeah, no, certainly there can be some frustration among some coaches because I know, I know there's like, like I touched on a couple of coaches earlier that like one with an A license who's struggling to get get a job because they're saying to him, "Well, you haven't got a youth award." Yeah, sure. But the you know, youth award doesn't exist anymore in, in in its old format, and it's, it's you know, and then because he's not in the pro game, yeah, he can't get on. It's very he can't, difficult he can't get, get, get on the AYA, and that, oh. that's the issue that we have. But the, if you think about it, um, what the probably one of the biggest issues that is. Um, uh, contributing to that is the churn of coaches out of the professional game after they've been. Mm. So there's a lot of coaches that are leaving the professional game or getting sacked from the professional game, and there's a churn yeah. of coaches that are coming in. And as a consequence of that, you know, those are the ones that are having to get qualified. So what happens is, for example, at a particular football club, uh, a coach leaves. So they invite um, one of the 16, 17-year-olds who haven't got a contract at the football club or have just lost out on a contract at the football club, a pro contract. They want to give him something else to do. So they say, why don't you yeah. come and do this coaching and we'll help you get qualified because we think you'll, you'll be good at it. So as a consequence of that, there's that churn of coaches. Now, all of a sudden, they need, that particular individual needs to get on the qualification because they've, they've put them in place. Now the rules and regulations state, um, you know, if if the if the coach is working towards, so what they do is that it's the get out clause. Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, I think what is working towards such a grey area. I think, you know exactly, I mean? and you know that that was it was one of the things that was a real um, uh, challenge for us when uh, at the FA to be able to say to them. Well, what what is working towards? You know, this person's just come in the, into the job. You've put them in the job. You know, that's not necessarily working towards. They, if they're working towards, they've at least started a qualification. Definitely, that would be my take on it. Definitely, do you, do you think there should be more stricture? I guess uh, in, regulations <laughs> in terms of people being able to get jobs without the necessary qualification. Because I, I was under the impression that when the EPPP came in, there were specific roles that were mandated to have uh, I guess a certain level of qualification but it doesn't seem like anything's actually being enforced and I guess that whole element of working towards it leaves such a grey area open for them to absolutely and, and, right away with and that, that's that's that, that's the thing you know when you just say well okay well he's not qualified 
well, he's working towards. And that, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> well, okay, well, there's nothing you can do about it because of that. If they said, well, that person needs to have already started a qualification, which means they're working towards. Or, put, or possibly booked onto, or, uh, you know, yeah. been granted a place. Okay, to yeah, yeah. There's, uh, again, that can be a grey area, can't it? Because, okay, well, if you're saying that they're on the qualification, then they're on the qualification. Being booked on the qualification doesn't necessarily mean you're on it yet. You might not have even sure. started it. You know, yeah. so it, it, it's, a, it's a balancing act, mate. And it's, it's really, really difficult, you know, because I've been in that situation where I've got to make those decisions. And it's really hard to make those, those choices and decisions. Uh, and then you've got the political aspects as well, which, um, which comes into, into play on a fairly regular basis. Definitely. So you know, I just want to you know, take you back to your career a bit. Now, you know, you've, over the course of the years, you know, 45, 46 tomorrow, is it, Jeff? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, one thing I'd really be interested in, you know, what, I guess, you know, obviously got massive love and passion for the game. Um, what helps you to stay motivated and keep you inspired to, you know, just keep going and really be your best after all these years? Um, uh to to see the to see the development uh, of of the coaches, and it doesn't matter who that is. And I can reel off a, a number of names that were that are household names within the game of football, which I've helped get qualified. Um, but there was a there was a guy that um, this links back to probably why why we're doing this uh, podcast really around the grassroots thing. Um, when I first came into the FA, uh, we was um, doing the, the um, uh, working with the county FAs. Um, I ran a course at what was then the Beckham Academy. Uh, yeah. And there was a guy came on the course and he walked in the room on day one. And um, you, you, you know, you make snap judgments, don't you? And you look at him yeah. and you go, oh, I'm not sure about you. And he walked in and he sat down and we started the course and he asked the question. And when he asked the first question, I thought, I'm not sure about you. Uh, and there was like there was like three. It was a three-year time span from the day you started to the day you needed to have uh, achieved the qualification. Otherwise, you'd have to start again. And sure. um, two weeks before the three-year time span was up, um, I got a message from him uh, with a big smile on his face, saying he finally achieved his UA for B license. Um, my wife and I uh, enjoy going to the theatre now and again. And we go up to London and we're on a train coming back and we get off at Stratford Station. We walk on a platform and this guy's there. He turns around and he sees me. And to be fair, he's had, he'd had a drink. He'd been out with a few of his mates. But you do tend to tell the truth when you've had a drink. And um, he come walking up and he totally ignored me. And he said, said to my wife, this man changed my life. So I said, why? Wow. And he said, because of the opportunity you gave me. I can say Robbie Di Matteo. I can say, um, uh, I don't know, Frank Lampard. I can say all these different names that people will associate yeah. the game of football with who I've helped through their qualifications. Um, but that meant more to me than you know, all the other things that go on and all the other people that I've helped support and get better at what they do. So what motivates yeah. me is working with Ross Embleton at Lake Norian, who's the first team coach who, who's working through qualifications and helping him develop as a, as a coach, manager, et cetera, et cetera. 
that's what motivates me to get up in the morning and go into Lake Norrient or working with the under nines coach in the academy at Lake Norrient to help him understand that actually you, he is in the, he or she is in the most, uh, um, uh, the, the position where you're going to most influence how those players develop. Yeah. Because of the age group that they're working with and having, having that opportunity to still do that, um, you know, motivates me in that respect. Brilliant. And just, you know, just talk, just touching on there, obviously your, your involvement with Leighton Orient there. How, how does, how much does that differ from, I guess, what you were doing in your previous role at the FA? Um, you know, when you were with the FA, were you doing any of the in situ stuff yourself, or was that mainly just the people that you, that I guess, were? Yeah. So, so it was very much um, not my role uh, when I was at the FA. My role was very much around management, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and development of the, qual- the qualifications and delivery of the qualifications. Uh, yeah. The other guys, the, the national coach developers and the regional coach development managers, were the ones that went out uh, and supported the guys in in their in situ positions. So sure. uh, being in situ with the guys is, is a completely different um, aspect for me. Uh, whilst I've done it previously over many years, uh, it, was, uh, it was refreshing to go back into a club and work with the guys. But it's also um, uh, a situation where I can understand what their club culture is and being able yeah. to work with them around their club culture and the philosophy that they're working by. And help develop those coaches within that club philosophy and and uh, and uh, identity. I suppose is probably the better word. Sure, you know, you just, you just want to touch back on you started back in your coaching career at Leighton or you've done, you know, you now come full circle back at sure. Leighton. You know, it'll be interesting just to get your thoughts and views on how much things might have changed <laughs> from that time to now. Uh, I think that that's that's the six million dollar question. Uh, yes, sir. I think it's. Uh, pretty impossible to answer because you know the club's been through uh, uh, the Barry Hearn era um, yep. you know gone out the football league come back into the football league gone through the Justin Edinburgh era where he sadly passed away you know yeah. and going through all that uh, trauma you know with that and you know Ross being his first team coach at the time is now taking on his role and trying to create his own identity um, it, it's, a, it's a really difficult question to answer. Um, I think the, the fundamental thing is is that the, the club still exists. The club still plays at Brisbane Road. Uh, the fans still come back on a, on a weekly basis. Um, and, you know, the, the club is still striving to uh, achieve the best that they possibly can with limited resources. Um, and that's always been the same with, with, uh, with, with Orient. You know, they've always had limited resources. And, you know, they've always done the best they can with those limited resources. And now they've managed to recruit one of the best uh, coach developers in the country. I've well, that, that, that's been presumptuous. Um, I, I think <laughs> that, you know, uh, I wouldn't want to um, uh, blow my own trumpet. But, you know, I, I have had a lot of experience and, you know, I, I enjoy passing on that experience. Fantastic. So just, just on that then, what would you say one of your biggest challenges has been, you know, both in your coaching journey and as a coach educator? Um, probably the first time I went on an A licence as a tutor. Okay. Um, you know, because it was, it was a completely different environment. I was working at the PFA. I got a phone call out of the blue. Can I come up and do the A licence as a tutor um, in two weeks' time? 
So I, I took the time to go up there because they had a course running pre pre that. Uh, so I went up and had a look at it and then come back again and then thought myself, well, am I uh, throwing myself into the fire here? But, you know, if I want to progress, this is where I've got to be. Um, and as a consequence of that, I went up there, did the, the first course up there and then was invited back on a yearly basis. Um, got um, uh, got to know a guy called Dick Bate on a, a, a sad, sadly he's uh, no longer with us. Um, mm. and, and Dick became a bit of a mentor really. Um, and you know, it was, it was, wasn't a mentor in the sense of offering advice. It was very much around observing Dick and taking on board what he does and then trying to emulate some of the stuff that he put into place. Um, Definitely. No, that uh, go on. you referred to Dick Bate there. Um, so it's quite, you, right. you know, not the first person that's referred to Dick Bate as, as a, as a form of some sort of mentor or, you know, the, or real key um, part of their own journeys. What was it about Dick Bate that really stood out for you? Because um, you know a lot of people really talk about the attention to detail, the organisation, sure. the presentation of things, and you know, was there any key things that stood out for you? And you know, his knowledge is, it, is there a particular time that you can kind of really touch on. Yeah, his, 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 his knowledge, yes, sir. You could talk to him about any any game of football, any uh, system of play uh, in any country in the world, and he would have an opinion because. He'd actually watched it and seen it. Right. Um, he he would come in in the morning, you know, while we was at um, uh, Lily Shaw uh, or wherever, uh, you know, we, we got together and he would be saying to me, you know, or saying to everybody in the room, did you watch that game last night? And we would say, well, there weren't any games on. He said, yes, there was. And he would watch a game from China or he'd watch a game from America or he'd watch a game from Canada or Australia, you know, to try and just be ahead of the game. Um, and, you know, he was ahead of the game. You know, he, uh, what, what Dick unfortunately couldn't do was put it into practice at a football club. He was a fabulous and fantastic coach educator. But to be an actual coach, he found that a difficult challenge for him. Um, but I took a lot from him. Uh, and the, the one day, um, he did give me some feedback once. And he said, um, and his words were to me, um, you're doing all right. You're getting better, and that was that was it, <laughs> which is amazing, really. But you know, it was only because of the way he did things that we uh, and there was. Oh, no, I'm not the only person that would be saying this thing, by the way. You know, there was a number of people that were in and around that sure. time uh, that would be in a similar situation and observe what he did and take a lot from it. Uh, so, so, so it's interesting, you know. Like I said, that people probably in the last couple of weeks alone, probably done about fifteen, maybe twenty interviews, and uh, at least six or seven people have, have referred to referred to Dick in that sure. in that fashion. Um, you know, the, the, they always talk about his knowledge and you know the experience as a coach educator. Really, you know, and the key things they took away from that. Just just on that, you said something interesting there. Why do you think it was the case that it maybe didn't really work out for him in the coaching capacity? I'm not really, I, I couldn't really answer that question because I don't know uh, the answer to that because I never saw him work in a club environment. Um, but you talk to people that he worked with, uh, the clubs that he was at, and, you know, they'd have him back tomorrow. You know, yeah. uh, so, you know, it, 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 I suppose it's what you, I think it, his his role for me would be more around an advisory role rather than a coaching role, because of his because right. of his his experience. 
you know, a, you know, a massive experience all over the place. Would you say that's something similar to what you're doing right now with the late? I'd like to think that that would be the case. Yes, um, you know. So um, what what um, what Ross has uh, allowed me to do is to have the the odd conversation with the play, with an individual player, um, and it's just a, a sn- snippet of stuff. Uh, and I think now uh, the the players are getting uh, more comfortable with me being around. They they didn't know who I was when I walked through the door first time. You know, so the fact right. that I'm around uh, a, a couple of days a week and prepared to offer advice to help them get better at what they do as well, I think is, you know, the bottom line is, is that's where it's at. So if if, if by my observations of, because I go to, I go to the games as well, or some of the games at home. So I watch, watch what they do um, and then, you know, potentially offer some advice to individual players as well. When uh, when it's appropriate, uh, but it's that's sure. not that's uh, not not as regular um, as I would like it to be at the moment. But you know, it's fairly um, uh, fairly young in the role in the respect of uh, supporting their development. And what what does the long term development look like for that for that project you're currently working on? Um, well, I mean. I, Ideally, what we'd like to be in a position to do is to support the, the coaches that are um, uh, on qualifications, support the, 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 the players and coaches that are potentially going to go on qualifications and be in a position to support them through that um, and also um, support the development of the manager and you know, so that the club gets better and the, the players get better and the club is prosperous and uh, you know, uh, you know, rises up the... The, up the up the league, hopefully, and puts himself in a challenging position. Brilliant. You, talk, you know, just want to take you back a little bit. Then you talked about Dick Bate being one of your biggest mentors. Would you say you've had anyone else that's been a major influence in your career, in, in especially in the coaching field? And if, in, if if so, what would you say the biggest lesson is you've taken from them? Um, well, I spoke about my ex manager when I uh, uh, John Lyle, when, yeah. you know, and he he's been a major influence on my career right the way through from. From being a ten-year-old in '66 to, to to even now, because I'm talking to you now, and he sadly passed away a number of years ago, uh, but he still has an influence. So it, the way he worked at the football club when he was the first team manager, stroke coach when I was playing, um, had a major influence on me because he was very much. I can't honestly remember him raising his voice in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, but he was everybody respected him as an individual um, and you know to be in that position to have people that re- respect what you do uh, I think is is a major thing and he he taught me that and he taught me to to, to be humble uh, and have humility and also be uh, um, I suppose uh, be the best you can at what you can be and just Jeff you a lot of a lot of the things that you say there is really about, and you know, throughout the conversation, what little things I've been picking out really, you know, about being being confident, being passionate about what you're doing. Um, it'd just be interesting, you know, as we start to wind down now, if we take you back to your coaching journey, the start of your coaching journey, age thirty-five, just retired from playing. If you could go back and talk to yourself back then, Jeff Pike, thirty-five-year-old not having a clue that he wanted to go into coaching, but as you put it, someone picked that career for you almost. 
what would be one bit of it? What would be one message you'd want to give yourself? Uh, specialize. Um, All right. Uh, because we get a, uh, a number of coaches now that come on qualifications, yes, sir, who uh, have this ambition. And their ambition is, well, I'm the under-9s coach at the moment, but I want to be the under-18s coach. And then, actually, what I want to be is the first-team coach. Why? And my question is always why. And invariably, it, it, it sort of, sometimes it comes down to finance, which I understand. Uh, but if, you, if, if we could encourage coaches to be specialised in age groups, and to understand that if you're working with an under nine, uh, that you will have a major influence on their development as a player because of the age group that they're in and their brain development, then, you know, and get them to actually really specialise in those areas. And if we could get coaches that specialise in, 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 in age groups or in, in blocks of age groups, so nines and tens, elevens and twelves, thirties, fourteens, fifteens, sixteens, et cetera, et cetera, um, then I think we, it would be uh, a major breakthrough. But unfortunately, at the moment, what happens is people are driven by, you know, this um, uh, notoriety, I suppose, is probably a right way of describing it. You know, as an under-9s coach, I don't get recognised. As an under-18s coach, I will. Well, if we could change that, then I think we'd be in a, a really strong, strong place. And I think just something you touched on there, you know, a couple of things there, in fact, first thing is obviously the finances I think a lot of coaches maybe do want the I guess the more senior roles in terms of age wise because they're the, the seemingly more uh, you know more of a, a package attached to it salary wise but I think certainly what you say there in terms of specialising I think is very important I think with the development and obviously the production of the advanced youth world over recent years I think that has maybe opened that spectrum a little bit more um, in allowing coaches to maybe think about where they do want to specialise, because I, I certainly do agree with you in that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it, it's... I, I don't know. We, that, we had a, I've had a conversation with people at the Premier League about this, and I said, well, what, what, when they put together the academy programme initially, they put together, like, you know, were you uh, the salary bands for each of the age groups, and they, they got it the wrong way around. They should have flipped it on its head. And they should have paid the under nine yeah. coach the most money, um, and then you you potentially would have seen the right people in the right place. Um, yeah. But you know, unfortunately, you know, it's it's a hierarchical environment that we're in. You know, if you if you're a, a young player that's playing for Lake Norwich youth team, then the next step is well, I want to play in Lake Norwich first team, and then when you get in the first team, well, actually, I want to transfer to a championship side or a Premier League side so it's, it's 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 a hierarchical environment that you're in right from the very start um, so mm. there, there's no getting away from it unfortunately but if we can encourage specialisation that would that for me would have a, a real benefit to the game so just touching on that then that's the message you'd want to give yourself yeah absolutely you know, I, I, you know to, to, to actually so uh, I, I it took me a while so my first experience of doing coach education was a, a guy called um, Alex Welsh at the London FA contacted me yep. when I when I got sacked at Lake Orient uh, a week after I got sacked and said, do, do I want to deliver a prelim course for him? So I said, yeah, uh, went along there. I had no coach education experience whatsoever and got asked to deliver a prelim course, which I did. Um, you know, and that was my first, first experience of coach education. 
you know, so, you know, uh, but uh, I then made a conscious decision to to specialise in, in that, but I could have done it sooner than that. So if, if you look back at your coaching journey now, you, you know, talk about specialising, if you had to reflect back on your own journey, what would you have specialised in if you did have the opportunity to go back um, and do that? I, I, would have, I would have spent more time in studying education to be able to specialise as a, as a uh, coach educator. Now, you, you might say, or people might say, well, you know, that's what you've done for the last, you know, 20 years. But yeah, but, you know, the, to be a specialist in, a, in an area, it's, time is, is irrelevant. You know, you have to spend as much time as you possibly can uh, developing yourself and uh, as a uh, um, a specialist in that particular area. Um, and I've, I've, uh, and it, it's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's, it's my my nature. I touch on things and I go around and I flit around sometimes with different things, and I don't spend enough time doing one thing. And I should have done a bit more of that. Yeah. Sure. So, you know, starting to. You know, we've, le- we've left the FA now, you know, you're back at Leighton Orient. Talked a bit about what your project at Leighton Orient looks like. Where, do, where, where does Jeff Pike go from there? Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to think that I can continue doing the stuff at Orient um, uh, and then do some consultancy work with... Um, I've, had, I've got a, one, of, one, of, um, uh, one of the people that I've got to know quite well is a, a, a fellow called Frank Ludolf, who is the... Um, Head of Coach Education for UEFA, um, so I'd like like to consider, I'd like to think that there might be an opportunity to do some work with uh, with Frank uh, um, through UEFA within the coach education environment. Um, and you know, I spoke to him on a couple of occasions, and you know, just sort of hoping that something crops up uh, in and around that. I speak to John Peacock quite, uh, John who used to work at the FA. Uh, does some work for UEFA and FIFA, and we we converse quite often. Um, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Yes, sir. Uh, a couple of days a week, if I can um, add to some uh, a couple of days a week at Orient, if I can add a couple of bits onto that, um, I'd be happy with that because, um, and I will say it now, I'm I'm 64 in September, uh, so I'm winding down a little bit, but still want some still want something to get up for in the morning. Brilliant. Um, I, love, I love the passion, Jeff. I love it. Um, you know, again, as you touched on there, just as we start to wind down then, if you had 60 seconds now, I guess, to leave our listeners with one golden nugget or as many as you can offer, <laughs> what would that be? Um, well, it's funny because I, I, I sort of um, uh, did some prep around some of the questions that you was going to ask. And I wrote alongside that question, experience. Um, there's no substitute for it. Don't expect to walk into a job if you've got no experience. Um, and you have to gather that experience. And how you gather that experience is uh, there's numerous ways of doing it. And you, you, we could be here all night talking about the different ways of doing it. Um, but I go back to that story right at the very start, that young lad, that Asian guy, who spent the time going and studying the, the, the game out in South America, uh, studying the game in Europe. And there's several ways of doing that now. You don't have to get on an aeroplane and do it. You can study it through uh, YouTube or, you know, you can pick up games, European games, et cetera, et cetera, and, and really study the game and understand the game, uh, the, the ins and outs of the game. If you can't have a conversation at a football club 
when you walk into the football club and you talk to the people who are in the bigger jobs, if, if for want of a better way of describing it, if you can't have a football conversation with them, then you you ain't going to get through the door. Definitely. And I think, you know, something the key that you touched on there, it just reminded me of a conversation I recently had with Mark Warburton. You know, he talks about his journey and how he first got involved in football and coaching in particular. And, you know, he would be circulating out emails, uh, making phone calls to various different clubs. And then uh, one particular club finally responded to him and told him, yeah, come along and have a look. And it was sport in Lisbon. And he said that, you know, from there, that's where his coaching journey really kind of took off. Sure. Started observing different clubs. Um, but it is about just, you know, and I think the, one of the key things that I've really been taken away from the conversation is that being consistent, hardworking and passionate about what you're doing is really going to help you pay off um, in the long run. Um, hard, there's no substitute for hard work, yes, sir. I, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, look, Jeff, some brilliant insights. Jeff sharing a wealth of experience, both as a coach and a coach educator. But, you know, very special thanks to my guest this evening, uh, Jeff Pike. Thanks again, Jeff. My pleasure, yes, sir. Well, there you have it, guys. Another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.